Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nathan Drolet. And together we form Platypus. Yeah, that sounds right. Platypus. The only poisonous mammal. Really? Yeah. Quills. They also lay eggs. Duck puppies. (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? They have... (laughs) They lay eggs. They have quills. Yeah. Platypuses have quills? Yeah, they have poisonous quills. They're the only poisonous mammal. That's your fact for the day. Why aren't they called porcupus? I don't know. Wow. We at the Power Company would like to retract any inflammatory or insensitive statements toward the platypus or any mammal who identifies as a duck puppy. Upon further Googling, our fact-checking department, a.k.a. Nate, has concluded that we, in fact, are not experts on the platypus and would like to defer to someone who is. The 92nd Naturalist. Hi there, I'm Thane Maynard. With the bill and webbed toes of a duck, the tail of a beaver, and the body of an otter, platypuses are easily one of the strangest-looking animals on the planet. And they even lay eggs like a bird. As the only living member of its taxonomic family and genus, the platypus is a unique animal that lives throughout Tasmania and the eastern coast of Australia. Duck-billed platypuses are generally solitary animals, especially the males, which set up territories in rivers, lagoons, and streams. The different home ranges of males may overlap, but the animals try to avoid each other, possibly even changing their foraging schedule to do so. The females are more tolerant and may even choose to nest in the same burrow with other females. But the mammals have a competitive nature that picks up during the breeding season, and the females can then nip each other in the tail with their toothless bill to get them out of their area. During the breeding season, the males produce venom, which is secreted from the spurs on their hind legs and used to inflict painful injuries on rival males. After the female has decided to accept her potential mate, she will allow him to bite her on her tail, and she will respond by biting his tail. The 92nd Naturalist is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio and the Cincinnati Zoo, with support from Cincinnati Public Radio members to spread the good news of the natural world. I'm learning things here, folks. I'm learning things here. So uh, I just want to go on record as saying that this is our second board meeting for the night. And um, we went through an entire bottle of wine between the two. So it was all coffee up until the first one, and now we're a bottle of wine in. So this is a board meeting. The, the board meeting is officially in session. Session. I like the way that sounds. All right. Uh, what we're going to talk about here is Nate and I have been on the road for a little while, and... Uh, we've been doing these workshops that have been going really great, uh, the Boulder Better Workshop. So when they come to your city, you should definitely show up. Um, we've got a lot to learn from you, and you've got a lot to learn from us. 
frankly. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The three top things that we've seen that the mistakes that people are making, the top three mistakes people are making that we see. Consistently. I've had far too much wine, thanks to Nate. <laughs> he bought wine. Paul would be ashamed that you didn't buy good beer. I know. <clears throat> Which, if anyone hasn't checked it out, Paul Corsaro's Bullet Points and Brews, that he posts roughly yeah. every Friday. Roughly. Uh, it's really good. He does a great job of finding great articles that were written from Strength and Conditioning and just general all over the internet from the week, and as well as his review of... A great beer. Yeah. And Paul knows loves, a lot about the beer. The guy loves his beer. Yeah. Yeah. I like drinking beer with Paul. So more of that this fall and winter for sure. Okay. So let's get into this thing before we just keep rambling and being drunk. Um, I'm going to let you start because you started on the first one. So we're just going to keep that trend going. You want to talk about what topic we're on? I already did. You're behind. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so for the top three things that... We've each seen that people could improve on. My first one is that people should focus more on how stereotypes are really there for a reason. And this is something I'm terribly guilty of. So a couple examples. Obviously, if you're a big, strong guy and you just always naturally jump and power through things, you know, it's pretty obvious that you need to focus on technique, being able to move slower being able to climb more delicate, things like that. And same thing, I mean, to pick on myself, I'm, before I climbed, I was a cross-country runner. Mm-hmm. I was, I started high school at 89 pounds, so small yeah, person. I wrestled 98 my freshman year. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Had to walk, weigh in with a roll of quarters in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I was naturally a small guy before I started climbing. Yeah. Even now, I've never considered, I've never been a terribly powerful climber. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people are that way. I mean, you know, we'll run into tall, slender women who just want to keep getting stronger fingers and keep climbing statically. Yeah. The thing is... More twisting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stereotypes are there for a reason. If you're... Yeah. You know, if you have a running background, you probably need power. If you're powerful, you need to be more technical. Things like that. For uh, sure. I agree 100%. So yeah, I'd say, you know, and same thing goes for if you're a sport climber, you could probably use some bouldering. Uh, 100%. Yes. Again, if you're definitely. Trad, if you're a trad climber, if you probably climb climber, really slow. Yes. Slow and sloth like. So yeah. Like I'd, I do. The biggest thing I'd say that I've noticed is along with stereotypes, and this goes hand in hand, most people know what they need to work on. Yeah, and they avoid it. Yes. Like it it's funny, you know, I'll watch someone climb, I'll be like, Man, you know, you're really powerful. You're good at jumping, but you should try and spend more time keeping your feet on. I know, but yeah, Exactly. That's what happens. Yeah. Or ah, you know, everyone tells me that. And those are really common. You know, I hear that all the time. It's like, well, if everyone's saying the exact same thing to you, maybe it's for a reason. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Stereotypes are there for a reason. Yeah, so that's my number one. true. My number one is people don't warm up enough. Like, not even close. 
and and I'm guilty of this a lot of times. And then there are other times I think I warm up too long, but people don't warm up enough. I think they're like, especially, and and I'm going to totally stereotype here, but especially the people who are not climbing at a super high level. I think if, you know, especially the people who are climbing like around the 510 level, have a tendency to start to jump into the into that 510 grade too quickly. And and I think that you should stay pretty well below what your limit is for quite a while, for maybe at least 30 minutes of your warm up. Um so if you're out at the crag, how many pitches would that be? Oh man, I would say I mean obviously there's no one size fits all. Yeah, for sure. I would say you need to do at least, if you're out at the crag, you need to do at least three, maybe four warm-up pitches before you even start approaching your hardest grades. And So what could that be, be comprised of? So, for, so for instance, uh, do they all need to be things that you've done before? Or? No, not necessarily. I think you can, I think you should definitely do some things that, that, make you confident that increase your confidence and get you mentally ready. And then I think you need to do some things that challenge you specifically if you're, you know, it really depends on what your, what your weaknesses are, or what you need to work on or, or what your project consists of that day. So if you know that your issue, your biggest issue is, you know, your, the mental side of your climbing, then maybe your warm up should be an easier on-site. Something you haven't done, but that's well within your limit to get you ready, to get your brain ready, to get your mind ready, to get Kind of build that confidence. Right, to get your psych ready for something harder. If, if you're a naturally slow climber, maybe you need to warm up on something that, that you purposely climb much faster than your normal pace. Yeah. You know, I think you need to push yourself outside of your limits or outside of your, your comfort zone. You know, I have to, you have to excuse me here because I've had a lot of wine at this point. But yeah, you push yourself outside of your comfort zone in your warm-ups. It doesn't mean it should all be really easy for you. That's not what a warm-up is. A warm-up is specifically to warm you up for whatever your ultimate task is for the day and if you're not warming up for that if you're just warming up going through the motions then you're probably not getting there yeah i think that's the most frustrating my number one most frustrating thing that i see for sure i think do you feel like you see it more with boulders or for sport climbing Ooh, that's a good question i know Um, I, i feel like i see it more with sport climbing Really, I was going to say more for boulders. Oh, wow, we're different people. And maybe maybe I'm thinking more for boulders because we've just done all these workshops that are just bouldering. Yeah, that's fair. Recency bias? Yeah, for sure. But you're right. I do see it outside quite a bit. If I And I haven't sport climbed in a while. But if I take myself back to sport climbing, I would see a lot of people do one warm-up and then be ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I can't like ruin my project, so I need to get on five nine exactly. Then fourteen C. Yep, exactly. Whoa, five nine then fourteen C. Boom. I'm gonna have to try that. Um, yeah, actually, so in Andrew Bishrat's book on red pointing, I can't remember the actual name of it. It may have just been called sport climbing. 
It might have been. Um, not sure. Has a lot, a lot of good tactics, but one of my favorite things out of it is he talks about, or he has short blurbs from pro climbers, and one that was great was from John Cardwell, and he said that... Who's been on the podcast, yes. by the way. Uh, he talks about, on warm-ups, building all the way up, and this doesn't have to be a concrete rule, until you're roughly one number grade below your project. So, for instance, if you were going to go try 15A like John Cardwell did, um, you know, you'd build all the way up until you're on 14A. And for a lot of people, this seems like a lot. Like, you know, it's like I don't want to tire myself out. But it was something I actually ended up taking to heart, and it was really useful for me. Instead of going from, oh, I'm just going to climb like a couple five tens, maybe a 12 a, and then I don't want to tire myself out before I get on a project. So I'll just jump straight to that. But by kind of like what you said, like picking harder projects that actually prepare myself, prepare me for my projects. I think it went a long ways. Yeah. And you know what? I think, I think you don't necessarily have to take the grade as the end all. Um, for instance, when I was working on Transworld, I wouldn't necessarily do a 13A before getting on my 14A project. But what I would do is turn a 12C into a much harder route by skipping all of the rests, climbing much faster than my normal pace, because I knew that I had to climb faster through the cruxes of Transworld to make it work for me. So... I wouldn't necessarily be one number grade below, but I wouldn't be climbing the 12C or whatever it was the same way that I would climb it. I would change my tactics, change my pace, change the way I climbed it to make it something different, something that prepared me better. Yeah, something that <clears throat> lined up more with whatever you were going to drive for that day. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great one. So. Good warm-ups, proper warm-ups in specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So my number two is, and some people are going to get mad at this, but not trying hard enough. For sure. So this is something I see I'm all guilty. the time. I'm guilty. I mean, I think we all are. Like, So one thing that was funny, especially at our clinics, was people be like, hey, can you come watch me do this move? Uh, I've been trying it for a while. And the second we walk over, they go up and just crush it. They just do the move. Yeah. That's happened to me so many times during this workshop tour. Yeah, they drop down and be like, oh, I guess I just needed someone watching me. I just yep. need to try a little harder. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's tough because climbing is such a personal thing. You, If you tell someone that they're not giving 100% effort, they get a little pissed. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it's funny. I've had it happen a couple times with my climbing. Climbing at TBA, there's a lot of great climbers. Uh, we were talking with Peter Bonamici the other day. I was, I was trying to count in my head, and I think there's roughly eight or nine V13 plus climbers in there. Which is like, crazy. On a semi-regular basis. But uh, every now and then, either Jimmy Webb or Brian Voges will pop into the gym. And, you know, I'm just minding my own business, having a great session, thinking I'm trying hard. And then I see those guys pull on the wall and, the level of effort they put into every go, I, ah, man, it's, it puts things in perspective. Like, yeah, for sure. And you know what? We don't all have a Jimmy Webb or a Brian Voges at our gym. So 
I think you can watch videos and see how hard people try. Mm -hmm. Or you can really just be honest with yourself and say, let me try a little harder. Even if I think I tried as hard as I could, let me try a little harder and see what happens. You know, and I think it's important to start to explore that. You know, you can't automatically say I need to try harder and then you're trying 100 percent. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not like a switch. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You really have to explore it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's important too to figure out what factors work well. Like, are there certain people that you can climb with who you naturally climb harder around? Like, I know for me personally, mm-hmm. there are a handful of people who, when I'm climbing with them, I can try a hundred percent so consistently. Versus if I'm climbing with other people or yeah. by myself. That's a really good point. You know, I can, as a parent, um, I can hear my daughter's voice when I'm climbing and it makes me try harder or I can hear my fiance's voice and it makes me try harder, you know, and I can definitely pick out the voices of my main partners in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings up another point. I think you can, you can know in what situation you try harder. You know, I try harder when there's a crowd of people hmm. because I, that's my, you know, my go-to effort level is as a showman. You know, I like to be on stage. I like to be in front of people. So when there's a crowd of people, I automatically switch into another gear. Do you, what's, what's your effort level? Like when do you find yourself giving the most effort? Is it with a crowd or when you're by yourself? It definitely depends. There's, I feel like there are a handful of people that I've climbed with in the past who, and still that I'll run into that I can try really hard around or they just help motivate me. When I'm climbing with someone who, it doesn't have to be someone who's stronger than me, but they can put out such a high level effort that I'm inspired by it, then I can try really, really hard. Um, But I also find that I can climb by myself fairly well. I don't feel like I can put out as much of an effort, but at the same time, I can have much less ego. Like I don't have as much, yeah, I don't have as much attachment to trying to climb something a certain way or trying to, yeah, I'm not afraid to try really dumb beta or yeah, there's nothing that really embarrasses me. And when I'm climbing by myself, I feel like I can really zero in and focus on the small things. It's not the same as when someone's yelling at me to try hard and I'm just trying to knuckle down and try as hard as absolutely possible, but it's still really beneficial in its own way. Do you think there are, you know, with the people that cause you to try hard, is it just a, an inspired thing or is it also an emotional thing? Like, is there, is there a difference for you? Because for me, it's more emotional, less, they're inspiring me to try hard. I think if there's even a difference, uh, it doesn't have to be simply inspiration. Like I don't have to watch someone else try hard. I think it's having someone else who understands maybe what it means to you. Uh, That makes sense. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's one of my biggest things is truly trying hard and man, I can go months without, actually trying hard and it's funny we were talking with uh or you were talking with roland and will yeah 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 uh and i was hanging out in the room but them talking about being able to give a 100 percent effort and just saying 
how, what a rarity it is. Mm -hmm. And that's what it really feels like. And it's one of those things that I'll go months and I'll think I'm really trying hard. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe something just clicks or I'm around the right person or I'm trying the right boulder and something happens. And I'm like, oh man, I haven't given that effort in months. Like if I could give yeah. this effort every time, there's nothing that could get in my way. Yep. Yeah. I just had a conversation with one of my clients. Um, and he was a little worried that he wasn't trying hard. He was worried that his try hard had gone away. Interesting. Even though he'd sent his hardest routes, this is his best season ever. He's, he's come about everything fairly easily. Everything he sent has happened without a big struggle. So he's worried that his try hard is disappearing, you know, and I've been through that same season. I, I know exactly what it's like. And I think your best season and your best performances sort of cause you to start worrying about, is your try hard still there? You know, and I think it, I think it appears on its own when you have the right people around, when you're in the right situation, um, but really learning how to how to tap into that is a pretty fucking important thing. Absolutely. That's hard to do. Yeah. So you have to practice it. I think that's what separates the best from, you know, everyone else. Like, yeah, no doubt. You see some of these super strong dudes, every time they pull on, they're giving 100%. Or at least that's how it looks. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe to them, they're like, oh, I only gave 97% or whatever. But but it looks like they're giving everything they've got every try. Yeah. You know, Chris Sharma, I think, is the obvious, you know, cliche, but really good example. That dude looks like he's trying 100% all the fucking time. You know, and I'd, sometimes I wish I could give that amount of effort instead of just kind of half-assing it sometimes. So I think that's a good one. Yeah. What are we on, number two? Yes. God, was that number one? Yeah, sorry, I kind of rambled there. No, not at all. That was good. Um, my number two, wait. Oh, that was my number two. That I was started. your number two, so yeah. I got to be number two now. All right, number two for me, sort of in the same line. Uh, people never get to the right intensity. Like they're never quite trying hard enough, like you said. But I had written down here because they want to send. Mm-hmm. And I think in your training sessions, that's a that's an important distinction to make. You're not there to top boulder problems. You're there to learn something. You're there to get better. And in order to do that, you need to reach the right intensity. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to send boulders. You know, they're on any given boulder. Say the boulder is eight moves long. Six of those moves might be at a really moderate intensity that you're going to be able to do every time. Those moves don't matter. What matters are those two moves that are really fucking hard for you and you really need to work for and you really need to give 98, 99, 100% for. Now, those are the moves that matter. But I see so many people stop right before they get to that level. They're trying to send boulders of 10 moderate moves and they're just getting pumped and getting tired. And it's so frustrating when people can't connect with that. I really need to try hard on these two moves. 
So that's super frustrating for me to watch. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think it's important to note too that sending boulders and knowing how to complete boulders is still an important skill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it on its own doesn't, you know, won't take you the whole way. If you don't know how to try hard. And, yeah, I completely agree. I think it's really common. It's something I've seen plenty uh, where people would will go out and they're like, well, all my friends were just climbing on, you know, V6 and 7s. And yeah. so that's what I do. And I'm like, okay, cool. What's your goal? And they're like, well, I want to climb V8 and 9. It's like, well, yeah, if you don't what climb your on. friends are doing. <laughs> forget your friends. They're holding you back. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, if, I mean, some of the best advice mm-hmm. I ever got was, and this was for something else. I had a buddy who was like, if you want to climb 513, you have to climb on 513s. And, for sure. You know, if you want to climb V8 or V9 or whatever it is, you have to climb on V8 or V9 or whatever it is. Like, yep. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. I'll, in fact, I'll use one of my clients as an example. Um, not as an example of doing it wrong, but as an example of doing exactly what you just said needs to be done. Uh, Acacia Young was just in Squamish and. I saw Acacia at OR and she was a little worried because she'd had a finger tweak and didn't quite know what to do, whether she should be going hard the last week before Squamish or if she should lay off for the injury. And we talked about it and we laid off a bit. It didn't seem like a major deal, so we laid off. But then when she went to Squamish, she got on the things that she had planned to get on. And she, she got on the V7s and she, and she sent, you know, and that's, you can't send if you don't get on them, mm-hmm. just like you just said. So, you know, I think you have to be aware of what you're working on and be aware of what that intensity level means. If you're working on endurance, that means you should probably be at a moderate intensity level. If you're working on strength or power, you need to be at a really high intensity level. And if you're working on power endurance, you need to be at a moderately high intensity level. And if you're not at those intensity levels, if you think you're working on power, but you're at a really low intensity level for your whole session or a moderate intensity level for your whole session, it's not going to work out for you. So... And I think that's one one thing that's really common too. And uh, we were talking about in the last board meeting, you had mentioned how as a sport climber, you started bouldering, yeah, which just meant that you were 40 move boulders. Exactly. You were sport climbing, but on a boulder. Uh, One thing that I see that's fairly common with sport climbers when they go bouldering, this is more so in the gym because it's easy to do. They take 20 second, 30 second, one minute rests. Yep. And so to we, them, they feel we like relax. We want to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to them, they feel like they're trying really hard because they're falling off because the move feels hard, but they're not actually giving, giving themselves a chance to fully recover and get a full chance to give something a really hard effort. Instead, they're just, you know, pretty much making it a sport route as if they were bolt to bolting something. They're, you know, just keeping almost a constant pump and they're consistently going and they feel fine because that's what they're used to. Yep. But they're never able to give that 100% effort, even, you know, 95 or 90% effort. This is something I see all the time. Yeah, and I think we need to define what what we're both talking about here. The 
you talking about 100% effort, me talking about, you know, the right intensity, the maximum intensity, we need to define that. And that doesn't mean getting super pumped. Yes. That's that's what that's how the sport climber is going to hear that, and they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, I get to 100% intensity all the time." Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I fall off. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about maximum intensity strength or power output, as opposed to maximum pump. You know, I think those are two totally different things. You get pumped because you're in a moderate intensity for a long period of time your maximum intensity doesn't result in a pump necessarily. It just results in physical failure. So I think that's a tough distinction for sport climbers to make because it was a tough distinction for me to make. It took me a long time to realize, oh, what I'm doing isn't 100% effort. You know, it's 100% effort over 100 moves, Mm -hmm. but I want 100% effort over two moves. And I think it's easy for sport climbers too to think of as a high effort as they leave whatever they're doing, whatever climbing workout as wrecked. So, I mean, man, end yeah. of sport yep. day when I put in a bunch of pitches, like I'm destroyed. Yeah, your whole body's so tired. Yeah, but a bouldering session, man, if you go until you're completely wrecked, like you're, it's going to take you days to recover. For sure, because if I leave when I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm like, I leave the gym and I'm. I'm jazzed on it. Like, oh man, I feel good. That was a really good session. The next morning, I'm like, oh, my body, my body did something yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, not only that, like, the way I see it, if you can leave the gym having tried hard, but still not feeling wrecked, that's the sooner that you can put in another high effort day. Versus if you get absolutely destroyed, you go take a rest day, come back, and you're still a little bit sore or whatever. Maybe you have two like 80% days and you have to take another rest day and then you're finally feeling fresh again. You know, that's been like four days between really high output efforts versus if you leave when you're still fresh, you you can come back the next day or even take a rest day, come back two days later and you can give another, you know, 9,500% effort day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that whole, you know, like we talked about before, or like I mentioned before, the whole wanting to send thing becomes a problem when you're trying to work on your maximum power or your maximum strength and and something i've been telling you know these folks at the clinics or at the workshops who've been coming out is to think about your your bouldering set your limit bouldering sessions your max bouldering sessions as like a gymnast might look at the Olympics, you know, you're not necessarily gymnasts don't have a top. They don't have a finish hold, you know, they don't finish something and fist pump and feel like they've just conquered the world. You know, they have to wait and see what the judges score is because they're being judged on how well they've performed and the confidence that they look like they had when they went into the routine and how, you know, just how, how beautiful everything they did was and that takes a huge concerted effort to make that happen that's what gymnasts are judged on so if you go into a boulder problem thinking that way then and you're not worried about sending and you just want to give your best effort 
on the hardest part of this boulder, then I think that's the better way to think about it instead of I need to get to the top of this boulder eventually, somehow, by any means possible. You know, I think I think you learn more that way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's a difference too between climbing inside and climbing outside. You know, yeah. when I'm inside, I think it's important to view it as a practice. You know, the top, mm -hmm. one thing we said a bunch in these last clinics is the top is not the goal. Right. So especially with limit boulders, if you have a three move boulder where every move is incredibly difficult, you know, each move might take you a full session. Or more. Or more. Yeah. And same thing, there are boulders where the goal might be to make every move as smooth as possible so that in the future when you re-encounter those same types of moves, you've already put in a bunch of time and you know exactly how to execute them. Versus, man, when I'm outside, there's no such thing as a fair fight. I'll put on a knee pad. For sure, yep. You know, whatever yeah. it absolutely takes. Yeah, if it's a performance day outside, you do whatever the hell you can do. Scrap your way through it. It doesn't matter how ugly it looks. You still get to check the box on your A-Day. Yeah, completion points. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think going off what you said, I think it's important to be able to differentiate the two. Yep. All right. Um, we can take a man, break. I think we need to take a break. All right. What's up, everybody? Chris here. Sorry to interrupt. I'll keep this brief. Since this podcast thing became officially official, I've gotten a bunch of messages from you guys asking how you can help out and make sure that it keeps going. Well, now we've got a way. Our new Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast, is set up so that you can become patrons of the podcast. We want to keep this thing sponsor free. You know, we want to keep it mostly commercial free, except for our own commercials, like this one, of course. Um, so the way it's set up is that you can donate monthly, um, $1 a month, $5 a month, all the way up to $25 a month, and you get rewards in return for that. For instance, for the $5 a month, you get our Google voice number, which means you can call, leave us a voicemail message, and we'll play it on the podcast and try to answer any questions that you have. Um, so we're trying to give back to you guys, and again, trying to keep this thing sponsor-free, so help us out patreon.com slash power company podcast or you can go to powercompanyclimbing.com and click on the podcast tab thanks a lot back to the show okay we are back man this wine is i can't believe we've gone through a whole bottle of wine between podcasts we didn't even get the podcast with a bottle of wine it's crazy all right uh number three, number three. All right. Three for you, number three. Um, so kind of pairing off of what you said last, this is going to go with poor tactics. Mm, that's a good one. So it doesn't that's have a really to be. really good one. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't so much have to be that people need to be master tacticianers, such as uh, Mikey Williams. Mikey Williams. Yeah. Exactly. Milky. <laughs> uh, the man who told me I need to go top rope my project for multiple days. Because that's the best way to do it, <laughs> though I'm taking it. Um, just simple things. I mean, shoot, when we were at a, when we were doing one of the kids' clinics, half the kids didn't use chalk. Yeah. They would walk up with a chalk bag. Set the chalk bag set down. Set the chalk bag down. And not touch it in between goes. Exactly. Yeah. For the entire session, they wouldn't actually chalk up. So simple things. And I mean, 
this comes down to taking proper rests, um, working out moves in yeah, sequences. Not starting from the bottom every exactly. single time. If you've yeah. got you know, a nine-move sequence and the fifth move is the hardest move, don't start from the bottom every single time. You know, it, we all feel like every go could be the go when we first start climbing. Yes. But it's probably not. So go ahead and work out the middle and save some energy. Um, you have yeah, any? I think that's a really, I think that's a really good one. The, we all feel like every goes the go. Like, what if I just do it this time? Yeah. What if I stick the move? I don't want to have started from one move in, you know, but the ultimate goal here, people, the, let me regress here. The gym is not the test. Okay. Uh, you've been saying that lately at workshops, Nate, the, the test happens out at the crag, you know, the, the gym is just practice. And if you stick the move one time and you can't stick it again, does it matter? Did you really learn anything? Probably not. So the goal here is to be able to do the move repeatedly. So if you can't pull on, learn the move, and be able to do it from the bottom or be able to do it over and over, you really didn't reach your goal for the gym. Is that fair? Yeah. That sound right? I mean, you know, and there are going to be times where there are exceptions. I mean, there's sure. an exception sure, to everything. Sure. There are, when I lived in the New River Gorge for a year, there were routes that I only did the crux move once, and it was when I was red pointing. Right, but that's outside. Yes. That's where the test is. And it, Yes. But even, I mean, there are times where you just kind of have a very low percentage move mm -hmm. and you get it dialed in as close as you're going to get and you just say, okay, like the opening two moves aren't hard. I'm just going to add them in um, and send it when I can. But knowing the difference and working things out until you're at that confident level, I think is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, do you have any, do you have any tactics that in the last few years that you've picked up that you've been a really big fan of? Hmm. Tactics. Or any just shenanigans. How about that? We can start with that. Yeah. So I think, you know, I watched and I talked about this in a podcast with uh, J-Star. So you guys will hear that eventually. But um, I saw Jonathan Segrist walk up to an open project and just stick clip his way up it. Didn't even try the moves. Like just stick clipped his way up it, looked at the holds, imagined the sequences and and I thought that was really crazy. Like I hadn't ever seen anyone do that. I hadn't hadn't even imagined that that was a thing. So was he not pulling on any of the moves? He was didn't just... didn't do any moves. Hmm. Just identified holds, put some chalk on, put some tick marks on. Like I'm gonna come back and try this. I just want to see if it's even feasible. And while I'm not at that point because most of the routes I'm getting on are, or problems I'm getting on, I already know are doable. Hmm. Um, and I know the grades of, so I can, you know, determine whether it's a, a fair fight for me or not. Uh, I can at least be okay with taking a stick clip up or, you know, going to the top of a boulder and checking out the top out first or things like that. Just not starting from just what I can reach mm -hmm. or feeling like there's some ethical um, 
you know, that it, that the correct ethics are to start from the ground and get to the top with my own, with only my body as, as the way to make it instead of using a stick clip. Some people see a stick clip as cheating. And now I see it like a really effective energy saving tool. Yeah. I've got an 18 foot stick clip. I'll bring that thing everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Mine might be that long as well. Yeah. I clip anchors at wild iris. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think that's one of the tactics I've really paid attention to was don't waste a bunch of energy just to check things out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it comes down to. Interesting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and on indoors, you know, if you want to practice that indoors, you can climb up the juggy yellow route next to the green route you're projecting and check out the high moves. You know, you don't have to climb up the green route to get to the high hard moves. Yeah, there are no rules. That's yeah. a great thing. Yep. Like, it's really just whatever you want to do. Like that's pretty rad about it. Um, yeah, so I'd say tactics. Can't think of too many others. Just, yeah, resting well, brushing holes. Brushing, I was going to say brushing. Brushing. Yeah. Route reading before you even pull on the wall. That seems... Like oh yeah, that's a big one. One of those things I see people who are really strong who don't even look at the cl- holds before they fall into the climb. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I feel like it's—I don't know—it's almost like I'm kind of harping on this, like it's a <clears throat> huge deal. But to me, they're just easy wins. I mean, these are—they don't take any energy really. I mean, it's not like I have to train my ability to look for thumbprints on holds to be able to read read a sequence right or you know i don't it doesn't take any extra effort really for me to clean my shoes before i pull onto the wall mm-hmm. you know a lot of little things but they go a long way yeah and here's another one i think uh, i'm not even exactly sure how to frame this but i see a lot of people get locked into trying a move one way mm-hmm. you know they don't necessarily experiment if they've come sort of close they'll just be locked into it like well but i know i can do it that way like well maybe try it the other way just you know see what happens and don't just give it one try because if you're trying it if your natural go-to is to try it in your style then it's going to feel more comfortable than if it's a move that is better done out of your style so for me if it's a you know, big dynamic move instead of shuffling my feet through and finding a way to do it with little momentum, which is the way I would like to do it, then it's going to feel harder to do it the big jumpy way. Mm -hmm. But if I give it several attempts and you like the seven go rule, yes, then, then you get a better feel for whether it's going to be possible for you that way or not. Of course, if it's out of your comfort zone the first time you try it, it's going to feel impossible. Absolutely. I think that's a good tactic, Yeah, the seven-go rule. Yeah, and that's, uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, I actually stole it from Sarah Williams, who writes for Crux Crush. She wrote an article. Shout out, Crux Crush. Yes. Uh, she wrote an article, I believe it's called Five Things I Wish I Would Have Known Five Years Ago. I could be completely butchering that. Oh, that's a good topic for us to do a board meeting with. Yes, next time. And one of the things was the seven go rule. And she said that she had to try, she learned to try a boulder seven times before she was allowed to abandon it. 
And what I did, I ended up completely stealing that, more or less calling it my own. Um, <laughs> but I apply it to single moves. Sorry, Sarah. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. But I ended up just applying it to individual moves. So I yep. have to try a single move seven times before I'm allowed to say, this is stupid, I don't even like this move. And yeah, I've actually been kind of amazed. Seven goes turns out to be a lot, especially when you rest well. And before you know it, you go from being two feet away from a hold to sticking it in seven tries. And yeah. it's actually been one of the best things to happen to my climbing is being a bit more patient. Yeah, and if you, your rule is if you aren't making improvement, after seven goes then you can abandon it yeah then you can abandon it yes so you don't even have to stick it in seven goes you just have to get closer or feel like it's possible it depends it depends on how frustrated i am for sure and you can <laughs> you can you can balance the two and say do i feel more frustrated with my style or more frustrated with this style mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah i've that's something that i'd recommend a lot of people try is the seven go rule just Man, if a move feels impossible, try it seven times. And a lot of times you'll really be surprised by how much closer you'll be or how much more you'll understand about that move within seven tries of a single move. Cool. So my number three, is that where we're at? Correct. So I think that people go way too damn long. I think they don't know when to cut it off and they just absolutely destroy themselves before they leave the gym. And I think that's okay if it's an endurance session or a stamina session or something that you're, you know, that's the whole goal is to beat yourself into the ground or into submission, then sure, go ahead and do that. Yeah, I think there's time and place. Yep. But if your goal is to get stronger or learn more or or gain power, then beating yourself into the ground isn't the answer. And I think you need to cut it off way earlier. And I think it's really hard for people to gauge how to do that. And people go too long. Yeah. Uh, is there any methods that you feel like work really well for gauging that? Uh, methods that I think work really well? No. <laughs> <laughs> methods that I think work well if you apply them sure they're really it's hard in a gym setting or in an outdoor setting especially to apply the methods what i like to do is i have a move or a boulder problem that feels good to me but is still slightly challenging mm -hmm. and late in the session when i'm starting to wonder have i taken it too far i'll go try that move or try that Boulder. And if it feels distinctly harder, then I try to cut myself off. And especially if it's a matter of coordination, like if it's a big windmill move, you know, something like that, instead of just a lock off move from one hold to another, I would prefer it have a bunch of different parts. And if I can't coordinate all that together, then I try to cut it off. So... That's my that's my best method of mm -hmm. knowing when to cut it off, but even that's a crapshoot. For sure. Yeah, and, and you know, it depends for every single person. Everyone's different. Um, for me, what has always worked the best is, man, I set a timer. 
I turn on my timer on my iPhone. After 90 minutes, I have to leave the gym, depending on the day and, you know, how long it takes me to warm up. Sometimes I might end climbing at 90 minutes and do some strength work afterwards. Yep. But yeah, I have most of my clients in their limit bouldering at 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they don't start limit bouldering until probably 45 minutes into their session with warm ups and perfect repeats and some other things that they're doing. But they're limit bouldering when they're really trying to give 100% can only last about 30 minutes. Hmm. And I think that's the best way is to give them a timer. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's a good way to go. And it obviously for anyone listening, this depends on what you're doing. If you're taking 10 minute rests, rests between every single effort, obviously 30 minutes wouldn't be very long. But, you know, it all depends on what kind of time frames you're working on. And yeah what you're looking to work. Yeah. And just know, you know, just really try to pay close attention to whether you can give the same quality effort that you did the previous attempt. And once your efforts start going downhill, don't be afraid to cut it off. You know, stop feeling like, okay, next go. If I just try harder, I can do it. And then it goes downhill again. And you think next go, if I just try harder, you know, it's a trap. Don't fall into that trap. It's a plastic boulder a lot of times. Yeah, no doubt. So I know you had a number four because you told me. Oh, goodness. You had a number four because you thought I was going to steal one of yours, and I didn't. And I had a number four because I thought since you wrote a number four, I should write a number four. So why don't you tell me where your number four is? I actually kind of blended in the other one. It was uh, not doing what they know they should do. So Man, that's kind of close to what I had for number four. Yeah, so... Most people kind of know what they need to work on. Um, so, yeah, that's what I had. What do you have? I have no respect for the basics. Oh, yeah. That, I think that's a great one. Yeah. So many people I say, you know, really focus on your footwork. And they're like, oh, I have great footwork. You know, And in reality, not many of us do. You know, when you see someone with really great footwork, it looks totally different. Than yeah, what most of us like, are doing at the gym. Oh, that's what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to kind of side rail you here, um, I'm a big fan of this topic, the idea that the best are better at the basics. Mm -hmm. uh, when we were talking with Peter Bonamici the other day, guy who's been climbing 17 years. I don't remember what he said. A long time. Had too much wine. And but he but he was like a youth youth ropes climber yeah he climbed in time, youth competitions so, yeah and he was saying it was funny because me and him were going back and forth with things that we feel like we've just started to understand more in the last year and he was what was it in the last few months he feel like feels like he's finally starting to understand drop knees drop knees yeah and heel hooks yeah oh yeah. and heel hooks that was a huge thing for him yeah. but it's funny because i feel like this is big for every single person i remember i remember just a few years ago i had this revelation on how backstepping finally worked mm -hmm. it was game changing i mean i've probably backstepped before then i don't know ten thousand times and i was like oh you know you just kind of step across your body and no big deal and then finally i was climbing in waco and there's this really specific move and i finally understood that if you put your foot in a specific way, it makes your knee and your hip go in this very specific direction and everything just clicks. And I was yeah. like, oh, I've been doing this wrong all along. And it's funny because this is, you know, one of the most basic skills possible. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I remember, yeah, I feel like this happens so often. So I completely agree with this topic of kind of underestimating the basics. Yep. Yeah, I think it's it's really easy to overlook them because you know when you first start climbing, you you progress at a pretty fast rate because you're really filling up your bag of tricks and everything's you know, you're new, learning lots of moves, and you know you go from five five to five nine really fast, and you feel like the basics are behind me, you know. But really, the basics happen all the way up until you know, 514 and V10, you know, and beyond. And beyond that, yeah. Yeah, they're, the basics are the building blocks of what we do here. And and if you think you've mastered the building blocks of this, then maybe you should just go take up something a lot more difficult. You know, I don't, I don't think there's another way to say it. If uh, This shit is hard, man. And if you think you are have mastered the basics, then you're just playing crazy. You know, and I think it's a level. There's definitely a level of you don't know what you don't know until For you sure. see someone else. I know what I don't know. Oh, <laughs> how fortunate! <laughs> um, so, what are some basic things that you've had to work on in the last few years, or that you've realized you've had to revisit? Um, definitely, the one that sticks out because I'm working on it right now is tension. You know, I think as a as a Red River climber, I, I have a certain level of good hold with my hand, good hold with my foot tension. You By know? that you mean you stay completely relaxed and <laughs> ragged all your way up a wall? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, basically. And that's the amount of tension I could apply, you know? And once I got to smaller feet even with the same size hands it was just like oh look how dynamic i am you know my feet cut and and that wasn't applying tension it wasn't doing it the most efficient way and it wasn't being dynamic it was just i can't hold the tension so i just let my feet cut yeah Yeah. it was just sloppy so learning to apply tension has been a huge thing for me and and that was after climbing v14 you know or v14 i haven't climbed v14 514 killing the game i've climbed yeah i'm killing the game um so that was after climbing 514 and 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 learning to climb v10 like my first few v10s were after really starting to work on that that amount of tension and i'm nowhere close to to have mastered it but i'm working on it and i'm learning about it so that's definitely the one that jumps into my head first. Hmm. How about you? Uh, I'd say there's two big ones. Uh, first would be dead pointing. Mm. Okay. Which is something you hear about really early on. You know, you do a big move, and at that point where... The dead point? The dead point, you might say. Mm-hmm. You're no longer moving upwards, and you're not yet moving downwards, and that's when you latch a hold. You know, it's this thing we all hear about. We all understand on a very basic level and yeah i'd say last i think it was maybe a year and a half ago i finally started to understand what this meant and it was it was wild to me like how much i didn't understand about it and i realized how basic 
my knowledge of was of this skill. So I just started practicing it nonstop and it was crazy. And it was funny because if I tried to share this with someone else, I was like, oh my gosh, like dead pointing. They'd be like, like, yeah, they're like, bro, that's like a V3 skill. Come on. (laughs) What are you doing? Like, no. And you know, it's so tough when you're practicing these really basic skills. (sighs) Yeah. You just look like an idiot sometimes. And that's exactly how this felt. But it, it was a huge deal for me. It's okay uh, to look like an idiot because if you really just look at climbing, we all kind of look like idiots. <laughs> you know, it's totally okay. But yeah, so the next one was finding the plumb line for every move. So finding a balance point between every single move. Okay. Instead yep. of just pulling mm-hmm. from hold to hold, finding each specific position. And it was really cool hanging out in the room whenever Will Anglin and Roland were talking about uh their position idea over everything poe yeah. position yeah. over everything I, it was amazing because it was just this is exactly how i feel and this is how i felt for so long so it was so cool to hear someone else talk about it with such enthusiasm yeah, i agree but really focusing on these positions and everything so from your starting point to your middle point to your end point just you know there are th- those are three different positions but each one has a lot of different little facets within them and understanding each individual body positioning and how to shift within them. You know, and we were talking with, uh, Raina Vaughn the other day and she was talking about how she went to a Ronavai. Thank you. Uh, Ronavai. And she was talking about, she went to a Johnny Dawes clinic. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he was talking about, and I've always had this, that guy would be so cool to hang out with. No kidding. Learn from. And I've always had this idea of reverse engineering moves. So if you know your start point and you don't entirely know how to go make the movement to where you're going to end, you can find your end point by pulling onto that next hold you're going to and figure out what exact body position you're yeah. going to go to. And then I would try and solve for the middle piece. He would go a full another step and he had people in his clinic reversing moves. Right. right. And so you're actually fully reverse engineering the entire middle section so you would understand the movement between i thought that was really fascinating yeah and he's definitely one of the most creative climbers of of the last multiple generations so yeah you know he's got to have something going on that a lot of people haven't figured out it's pretty cool to watch that dude climb absolutely for anyone who hasn't seen he's got a couple cool videos there's an old video of him and jerry moffett trying what was the meltdown project on the, I don't know what kind of rock that was. Um, slate? Slate, yes, it was the Slate Quarries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he's got a film, something monkey. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it I'll off the call top it off of my that. head. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my wine. So, But, yeah, look up Johnny Dawes. He's really fun to watch climb and definitely a super creative climber that you can learn a lot from movement-wise. Yes. So yeah, for me, it was uh, then really being patient and finding positions, which once again, this is a very basic skill. And man, when I was practicing it, I would be falling all over V5s nonstop Mm -hmm. just to try and understand them. But yeah, that was, uh, it's a lot of fun too. It's fun, like kind of finding these basic skills that you're terrible at yeah, and really trying to exploit them. Yeah, we spent, you know, you and I spent, 30 minutes or something up in the engine room last night 
working on you were working on climbing three finger open handed which was and, awful and i was working on climbing four finger any method <laughs> because i hate to use my pinkies i just love the three finger grip in all its positions and and we both sucked at it and it was really fun and a little surprising to see that you know if you put your fourth if you put your pinky on and use your thumb moves were warm-up level yeah that were your limit with three fingers and if i put my pinky on i couldn't i could barely do moves that were warm-up level with my pinky off yeah it made no sense you know so it was it was really fun but at the same time funny you know but it's definitely something i've thought about a lot over the last few years and i've spent some time working on and I've started to realize that there are specific moves that if I just use my pinky the move is easier yeah you know most moves for me if I take my pinky off the moves easier but some moves if I put my pinky on and I want to learn the difference you know I want to learn what works for me so again that's a basic thing the I mean the most basic thing how do you hold a hold yeah and you just grab it right right and that's the most basic part of this but I still haven't mastered it. Yeah, no, and that's, I think that's what's awesome is there's so many basic things to keep getting better at. And it's funny, I didn't realize, so I used to never climb with four fingers up until I was trying a route that is now a route that Chris is trying, Atomic Stetson and Wild Iris, and uh, yeah. my ring finger exploded, sounded like a breaking pencil. Yeah, and I I stopped just before I think that may have happened. So yeah. And so I could no longer climb three finger open hand because it felt like I was just ripping my palm in half. Mm-hmm. So I had to start climbing with four fingers and it was initially horrible. It was just most frustrating thing ever. And then once I finally got strong at it, it was crazy. I remember I would go on old projects where I would always climb with three fingers. And once I finally started climbing with four, without door holds, like I would find these holds that my pinky would settle into like a crevice and suddenly what used to be a hole that was really hard to grab was a resting hold. So the difference between being able to grab things three finger open hand and four finger open hand was a monstrous difference. It wasn't just like a little bit of extra strength or a different finger, different muscle. Like it was, I could grab holds in completely different ways. Hmm. That gives me hope. So Megos watch out because once I learn to use this pinky, you're in trouble. (laughs) 30 kilo one arm hangs. Yeah, I don't even know what kilos mean. We only speak in freedom units here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think that about wraps it up. Uh, You can find us on the powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. But the Twitters, you can't find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this